WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of a new show here on WRBH, Dinner Party with Chef Amy Sins. And my first guest today is Mr. Ian McNulty, and I am so glad he was able to join me and be the first guest on Dinner Party. How are you? Uh, I'm just delighted to be here. It's great to see you in person, not on a screen, but actually face-to-face. And, you know, it's always an honor for me to step up to any mic and talk about my favorite topic, New Orleans food. And, you know, I think it is our favorite topic. <laughs> uh, it's what we all have in common. One thing, no matter who you meet, wherever you meet them, we all got to eat, right? You know, some cliches are true, right? I mean, they say this, oh, New Orleans, we, we live to eat. We don't eat to live. And... Yeah, oh, food builds bridges. Oh, food connects people. All these things. I mean, you say them enough, it can start to sound cliche. And then, living in New Orleans, you find concrete reminders of that it's very real all the time. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in other places. It certainly does. But in New Orleans, it just feels like it's so much a part of the lifestyle and the identity and the culture. It's not just, oh, we love to eat because we like good food. <laughs> we love to eat because it's pleasurable. Or we love to eat because we have money and get to show off our taste through expensive restaurants and food and, and show how sophisticated we are. It's we love to eat because it's who we are. It's how we were raised. It's how we got to know the city if we were raised somewhere else. It's how we relate to each other from different neighborhoods, from different parts of town, different generations even. And Amy, everything that I've done in my career in media so far has just underscored that exact message. You know, that it, it really is the ways that people connect and identify through food that makes it so fascinating and so powerful. And it really is powerful. And if we think about, you know, every moment in our life, there was, you know, some kind of food memory involved, at least for me. You know, growing up here in South Louisiana, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, (laughs) you know, you remember the food that was involved, you know, and how it made you feel in that moment. And I feel like now more than ever, we're searching for those feelings again. Right. And and that's a universal feeling, I believe, Amy. I mean, that's Talk to people all across the globe. It was, oh, it was what my mother made for me. It was, oh, it was what we had the first night we did this or we did the house or whatever. You know, people have strong affiliations with that. One thing that I've learned as I've gotten to know New Orleans and Louisiana more is just how that universal characteristic um, becomes a local one here because it is such a distinctive food culture in Louisiana and then tighten the focus in New Orleans. And because it's different from other places, it's something that the people who share it have in common and have a better connection through, right? I mean, anybody can say, you know, I, I, my mom's cooking was, was my first love or whatever. You know, that'll be true across the world. But it'll be like, my mom's gumbo. Oh, your mom's gumbo. My mom's gumbo. Oh, we both have gumbo. It's, you know, it, it, it just gives us this lexicon, this common point. I sometimes compare it to New Orleans music, right? Mm-hmm. No matter what taste of music you have, you're like classical music or pop or hip hop or whatever. If you live in New Orleans, there's a certain genre of music that you identify as New Orleans music, right? And then when you hear the opening strains of Carnival Time, 
you have this. You, you, you know, yes. you gotta start moving. Your shoulders start shaking. Right? Does it does it reside in your personal music collection? Maybe not. Is it what you pop into the, into the, the, the car when you're when you're cruising? Maybe not. Maybe you know you get your own taste. But because you're a New Orleans person, you have a connection to that, and that's why you know when a New Orleans musician makes good and you know gets a big award, everyone in New Orleans is proud of it because it's like. It's not just like, oh, somebody of the music genre I love got their due. It's like, no, someone from New Orleans that I affiliate with, yes, who's part of my tribe, won this big award. And it, I think it's really similar with food. Like, you know, when I write a story, let's say a, a big restaurant name comes up in it, it gets a huge response, not because people affiliate it with New Orleans, not necessarily because they've been to Galatoire's in the last 10 years, maybe, you know, some people go over Friday, some people maybe they've gone once a decade or never been, it's not their taste, but they affiliate with a New Orleans place, and that's part of their place in the world, is being from New Orleans, so uh, there's powerful connections there. Now, you know, I, I think about I think about food all the time it's kind of a problem like I'm always thinking about food I'm thinking about what I'm gonna have for dinner when I'm trying to figure out what I should be eating for breakfast <laughs> right and um, if somebody calls me because they're coming in town then that's all I can think about is what they should be eating and when but if I you know if I go back to some of my earlier food memories as a kid you know, they weren't super fancy food memories you know it could have been when my mom got the first microwave and my dad said she was serving us radiated rice right <laughs> but there are these things that, that you can almost close your eyes and be in that moment do you have any like early food memories as a kid that you still go back to and it's just kind of a, yes. a moment Lima beans. Okay. Lima beans was one of the foods I was allowed to discard because it came in the frozen pack of like, you know, bird's eye mixed vegetables that my mom would boil or microwave or radiate and put on the plate. And, uh, you know, I was like, a little kid, lima beans. I mean, it was frozen out of a bag. You know, it, it, this was not, nothing was done to it. And my mom agreed, no, no, you, you don't have to eat those. Just push those to the side. Just eat the carrots and the peas. I'm like, wow. <laughs> There's food in the world that I don't have to eat that like everyone agrees. And then, full circle, I start to have lima beans shock in New Orleans, which are game changers. They're delicious. <laughs> it's like lima beans over rice, Creole style, with the labor packed into them. It's like, oh, lima beans are actually pretty good. I would go out there and order some lima beans. I might look for some of that, you know, the way they do lima beans at uh, Dookie Chase's, say, right? Absolutely. A lot different from the bird's eye frozen pack <laughs> that mom was making dinner. on a weeknight. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that's a full circle one right there for sure. You know, you know as, as I've traveled, as I've done things in my life and... You know, I, I eat also to learn, mm -hmm. to learn about cultures, to learn about people. Have, have you ever been at dinner with someone where you're sitting, you're having dinner, but then you just have this like aha moment where you feel like you've connected or you've learned something or uh, I don't know, like you're going to change in, in some way? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, going in my job. I'm a little restaurant writer for the paper, right? I go around, I, I check out different restaurants. I'm also watching what other people are doing. You know, I take a kind of a fly in the wall approach, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking around. What do the other tables order? You know, what's that family doing over there? How are they, how are they eating this? Like, uh, you know, when I was first learning about Vietnamese restaurants, you know, I mean, that was a blank slate. I didn't know where to start. The menus are huge. 
I just look over at the other table. And I'm like, oh, what are they having over there? Oh my god! You know, like, I wish I could insert myself into that table. And like those people are lucky over there. You know, they know what they're doing already. Um, but you know, that, that's one of the things. Like these restaurants are, are great gateways for this because you get this experience of a particular kind of food that, that normally you'd have to have access to someone's house to experience, right? And you're not necessarily always going to get that. Um, you know, one of the reasons I just I love restaurants of, of great variety is because they should be that. You know, you know, restaurants, uh, and we've had some time to think about it during the pandemic when, when all the restaurants were closed or shut down for different, you know, different capacities. You have to think about, like, why we miss them so much, and why we value them. And, you know, in some cases it's to, to get the lima beans or the gumbo that we remember exactly <laughs> like from the last time. Others, it's to learn something new. And, you know, with, with, especially with you know, mom and pop restaurants, people like cooking the food of their homes that they grew up with, or with their own twists to it, you get just such a direct portal into that. You know, that's why it's so exciting. You know, you can, you know, comfort food takes many different shapes and sizes, right? I mean, it's the stuff that's comforting to you. It's what you always go back to. It's the way you order your po'boy. It's the way you like your steak. But then you go to a restaurant that tests your boundaries a little bit. You know, not having something that you consider gross and you find out it's delicious, but having something you never even considered putting together before, you know? And that's what I love about it. So what food in life has tested your boundaries? Huh. Anything? Huh. I mean, I'll say huh. that I, I fill out, if people say, what are your food allergies? Yeah. It's not a food allergy, it's a food dislike, but I never need to eat another sea cucumber again in my life. <laughs> I'm, I've done it, I'm good, I don't need to go there. That tested my boundary, and I know where my boundary is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> has there been anything that has tested your boundaries or even pushed your boundaries further that you go, I, I'm, I, I like this, I didn't know I liked this? I'll answer this in two different ways. You know, there are some foods that I just, I have a pretty broad palette, I think, and, I, and you know, when I approach something to write about for other people, I try to I try to have as broad a palette as possible, and write for whoever's taste it is, right? You know, if, if anybody reading a story should hopefully get something out of it, whether or not they like barbecue or whether they're not, you know, they they it doesn't it shouldn't matter so much what my particular tastes are, but I'm trying to paint a picture of of what this experience is for you. Um, that said. <laughs> Organ meats, not my favorite. Uh, actual foots, uh, feet, excuse me, feet. Um, uh, anything with claws still attached, uh, chicken feet. Uh, you know, there, there was a, a troubling trend for a while where, where chicken feet were, were making it out of their the natural habitat of, you know, good Chinese restaurants and, 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 and other places. And not promising. Anything with a lot of cartilage <laughs> still that you can identify in your mouth as cartilage. <laughs> um, those horrific, um, what, stillborn eggs that they make in <laughs> some part. The one with the like, half chicken in it? Yes. Yeah, no thanks. Nope. I mean, I've seen people, like, I know, I know people who love them, you know? I mean, they're, they're, they're traditional for a reason. Uh, I've taken a few nibbles and said no thank you. But, on the other hand, I have had foods you know, earlier in my journey uh, that I didn't think I liked, and I was convinced otherwise very quickly. And um, New Orleans, not surprisingly, had a lot to do with that. Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, grew up in New England up there, 
great seafood culture, um, has its own distinct food culture. That's not really where I started out. I didn't start out with like being a foodie up there or anything, right? Uh, and I had tried raw seafood, maybe at a party or something, or raw, you know, clams are all the thing up there. I've had oysters up there. Didn't like it at all. Just like, you know, got it in the mouth and just looking for a way to get it out. <laughs> so napkin handy. Um, but I came, when I moved to New Orleans, the idea of the oyster bar was very alluring to me. Uh, it just sounded sexy. An oyster bar. There's going to be tile, and it's a bar, and people hang out, and they're eating oysters, and it's so specific. It's not a raw seafood bar. It's not a uh, eat a bunch of seafood bar. It's a raw bar. It's an oyster bar. One know? thing. Yeah, and like that to me was like, oh, that's there's some there's some passion there, right? That's some, some compelling focus. Like, I'll give it a shot. Well, having Gulf oysters was the door opener for me, you know. And I had those. Oh, this is actually really tasty, especially with this you know, little lemon on top, and having a beer with people who are fun. I like this, you know. And from there, you know, I, I eat any kind of oyster you can shove, of course. And also, believe it or not, olives. Wasn't a big olive guy. Wow. Yeah. It's like too salty, too intense, too puckering. You know what did it? Olive salad. Okay. Olive salad. Kicked the door open. Delivered, of course, by Muffalata Sandwich. Now, love olives. Fiend for them. great pairing with wine, champagne, whatever. But before, like, I don't know, olives, blah, blah, blah. You know, so early, this is early in the food education of Ian here. <laughs> but oysters and olives, I have New Orleans to thank for that, those two loves. Well, so I have to follow that question up with are you a warm muffalata, a cold muffalata, a room temp muffalata? What are your rules for the muffalata? I'm mean, any kind of muffalata I can get my hands on, frankly. So that's as far as the rules go. But I think my preference would be room temperature muffalata. Not cold. I don't, I don't have any use for a cold muffalata unless, you know, you pull it out of the ice chest on a fishing trip and there you go. You know? <laughs> um, but certain muffaladas, I think, are better heated up. You know? Um, I'm thinking of the one, well, the French alata, of course, in Lighthouse is a little different than the French bread. But that just wouldn't be the same without, you know, a run through the salamander there crisp everything up in the broiler. But I do think that, um, you know, central grocery muffalata, as is, you know, and room temperature, room temperature is kind of warm in New Orleans, okay? <laughs> room temperature right now. Yeah, it's like August room temperature yeah. or October room temperature. Yeah, yeah. The, the cheese is starting to sweat a little bit at room temperature in New Orleans in the summertime, right? So, maybe, you know, that gets the juices flowing plenty all on its own. <laughs> well, if you could get that muffalata yeah. from Central Grocery, and you know, it's it's big, right? It's sure. like how you make friends. You get a giant mm -hmm. one, and you just start sharing pieces of it. If you could, anyone in time, history, space, and you could sit down and have your own little muffalata dinner party, and you sit down and you got a beer, muffalata, who do you want to sit and visit and chat with? Um, I'm going to give a very New Orleans answer. The first one that comes to mind when you say that is Warren LaRuth. Because this is the chef that is responsible for a lot of, I think a lot of pivotal moments in, in New Orleans cuisine that you know, happened through the, maybe the 70s, the 80s, maybe even the 90s, and then you know continue to influence how things are going today. But I never met him. It was, he, was, he was of an era before my time in New Orleans. But he's somebody that I hear about constantly from chefs who worked with him, who worked under him, 
who are you know the, some of the, the senior senators of the New Orleans dining scene now who, who worked with them quite early in their own careers. And the way that other people talk about Warren LaRouf makes me think he would be, that would be extremely well spent time via the time machine and the muffalata to, to get together with, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know what I would say to Albert Einstein. Right. I don't know what I would say to uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you know? I mean, I just don't, I don't know what I would, would, would say to Frida Kahlo. But I, I have some pretty, I, I, I think we could have some pretty good conversation with Warren LaRuth and I would get a lot out of that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you know, it, you have embraced all things New Orleans. You have embraced our food, our people, our culture. You yeah. we were talking about how you grew up in Rhode Island. Yeah. You know, obviously you didn't, when you were a little kid, go, I'm going to move from Rhode Island to New Orleans <laughs> and I'm going to do food all the time. You know, what did you want to be when you grow up? Grew up, And how, how did you get here? Yeah, well, the, what did you want to be part clueless, I guess, you know, I mean, I, I, I always just followed what people told me I was good at, okay, so, good at, you know, going to college, what are you going to major in, I don't know, I like, I like writing, I was told I was good at writing essays in, in high school, okay, well, maybe English, let's, let's pursue that, I was told by English professors, oh, this is good, you're doing well at this, this is interesting, okay, I'm getting pats on the back for this, great, and I get out of college with my English degree, uh, what now? Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to construction, working in retail, you know, just the, you know, schlepping beer cases at a liquor store, <laughs> just those things that you do with an English degree when you get out of school, and no one told you to get an internship or work here, or, you know, you don't have family connections to get you a job somewhere, so I had to kind of find myself, and fortunately, I got a job at a small town newspaper back in Rhode Island, in my hometown, not covering food. Uh, just covering everything under the sun that happened in this little town. The schools, the town council, the, the police, the, you know, everything, features. Uh, and again, was eventually told, yeah, you're doing pretty good at this. Like, keep going. Like, okay, I'm going to keep going at this, I guess, you know. I mean, journalism doesn't pay very well. It's long hours, kind of demanding. It's kind of time stressful and deadline. But I, I'm getting a lot out of this because people seem to enjoy it. Um, then I hit about 25, and I thought, I'm restless, you know, I'm back in the hometown where I grew up, which I love, beautiful place, great place to grow up, friends and family there, but uh, I'm 25, I'm not married, I don't have a house, I don't have a mortgage, I'm pretty free, I should run away to Europe, <laughs> but I don't quite have the guts to do that, so I think, what's the next best thing? I'm going to run away to New Orleans, because that seems like a really romantic place to someone you know, hunkered down in a Rhode Island winter, you know, just thinking about just, I mean, every, everything that I had about New Orleans was delivered through, like, really bad movies and wonderful Tennessee Williams plays, you know, so that's what I was picturing when I moved down here, I figured I'd stay for a year, you know, do whatever I needed to do, and come back home and drink off those stories for the rest of my life back in Rhode Island, but instead I came down here and got a job, not in food, again, just working for a small Business paper, New Orleans City Business, weekly business paper, writing about banking and insurance, very prosaic topics. But on the side, I picked up a column writing about food. And it was one of these explore New Orleans, explore your new city through food. And it was a monthly column. It was, you know, it wasn't high profile or anything like that. It was just, um, it was a great place to kind of develop um, 
a style and, and get interested in it. And then again, you know, people, oh, we like what you're doing. Here, do more of this. Hey, do, do this on the side. Do that on the side. And, and it grew from there until it became the sideline. You know, the, the hobby becomes the sideline, becomes the main gig. Uh, and there you go. So it's it, it was never like setting out to be a food writer. I mean, it was never setting out to be uh, a food critic, a restaurant or any of this stuff. I, I I I just discovered that I was good at writing. People told me I was good at writing. I got rewarded for being good at writing, and I I kept on following that. And in New Orleans, I found that there was no more compelling topic than food. Right. And that's just what it came down to. That that's where the intersection of my abilities and people's interests met, and uh, it's something that's always kept me kept me curious, kept me motivated. You know, kept me trying to get the you know make the extra call, go the extra mile, do the extra draft. This is important to people. You're, you know, you have readers who actually really care deeply about this, unlike the other topics I've written about <laughs> in my career, and really want to like interact with you about that. And so that's been the most gratifying part is just like writing something having a job that is covering something that people deeply care about and will respond to you about. And they will respond oh, yes. better of me, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, not always, not, not, not necessarily always flattering, complimentary, or an agreement, which, you know, would never happen in food anyway. Uh, but, I, I mean, again, I always learn stuff from, from that, even from negative criticism, as long as it's, as long as there's, some 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 flicker of 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 uh, of rationale or or intent behind it instead of just like you know, some personal attack or something like that. But you know I you know, you know I, I've get I get correspondence from readers like oh you completely missed the boat on this or that or how come you never write about this place and you know and I try to engage with them and say like okay what am I missing what do you like and it's New Orleans people and. How do we start off this interview? What do people talk about in New Orleans? Food. So you start actually talking to them about food instead of defending yourself or, you know, stabbing back with that personal attacks. And it changes, you know? I mean, I've had people lead with, like, cussing me out to, like, giving me great tips on restaurants that I just didn't know about or, you know, had done off my radar or a different part of town that I need to get better acquainted with. You know, it's, that's New Orleans people. I mean, that you, <laughs> not only can you get people talking about it, but you can, I mean, you, you can build some really serious stuff with it. And I love that. And I, I, you know, I can hear the passion that you have for our food. And it, it it's contagious here in New Orleans yeah. how much we love it, how much we care about it, and how feisty we can be defending it. Right. Because they care. That's right. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter if it was just, oh, where can I get the best value or, you know, where's the cheapest deal tonight or uh, what's just the nearest place to my house to, you know, there are, there are places like that. I've, I've, you know, there, there, there are places where it's just that boring. But here people have, a, they have skin in the game. They have a personal take on it. Uh, it means something to them, means something to their families. I and mean, it's, it's part of the way that they tell their own story. And, you know, it's... It's important. So, you know, in my writing and my work, I try to honor that or live up to. The, I try to live up to the passion that my readers put into the topic. Well, do you have any advice for those of us in the food industry who really want to engage your readers? You know, mm -hmm. we want people to love what we do and to enjoy our food and to be a part of our food community. You know, what can we do as a food community to really? keep that that feeling and really hold in our our 
New Orleans residents who are so passionate about it? You know, I, sometimes I think it just comes down to reminding people why it's special. Um, you know, <laughs> food is a daily part of, of, of life. Hopefully, several t parts of the day. Because <laughs> deeply, both you know, if breakfast, lunch, and dinner is not going to cut it, you got to add a few more throughout the day. Come on, but uh, it sometimes you know we're living through a moment right now where you know anybody who took things for granted back in the early 2020 probably didn't take them for granted for very much longer after that, and and learned to see the value in it again. Uh, so, so I think there are ways to 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 remind people like, yes, this is special, this is different. Um, look at the way that our visitors respond when they come here. Visitors, they love bad New Orleans food, right? I mean, right. They, there's a lot of restaurants in this town that make a, a very good living off of bad New Orleans food because it's better than what people from outside of New Orleans get on a regular basis. So as a New Orleans person, member of the hospitality community, if you can show people the, the the best New Orleans food, or the heart and soul of it, or why it really is important, or why, what you know, the stories that go into it that make it so significant, right? If you can remind people of that, that it's part of their own story, um, that there's a reason why we do it X, Y, Z way, you know, there's a reason why we do it like this, the reason why we do it like that, the reason why that it sparks this in people, um, then I, I think sometimes that, just that flicker can be enough to, to to re-engage people, and in a, again, like the, the the coming close to losing things, revalue again. But also on the other on the other mark, Amy, it's it's showing people where things can go. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's one of the most exciting things I think is happening right now in New Orleans food is the next generation putting their stamp on it, not disregarding it, not blowing things out of the frame, not not revolutionizing New Orleans food but giving it the lens of their generation, their experience, their expectations, their values, uh, their relationships, and filtering that food through food. And you're seeing that with renewed vigor now that New Orleans hospitality is coming back from the pandemic. Um, because I think people recognize the stakes, new opportunities have opened up. Um, it's really, really exciting to be covering that part of it. And yes, there's a lot out there like that. I love it. And you know, we, I, I'm gonna have to have you back on the show so we can talk about where we're going next. Okay. You know, we're yeah. we're a lot of time, but I feel like there there's a to be continued because we're we're excited, we're enthusiastic, we love Louisiana, we love New Orleans food, and there are new horizons that we will be reaching. And I, you know, I can't wait to see you know, what those are. Would you mind telling our listeners where they can find you and how they can find out more about you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So all my, my, most of my work shows up on NOLA.com. That's the Times-Picayune. We still deliver it daily to you on your stoop. Uh, you can find us on, online, of course, NOLA.com. Uh, check us out on Facebook, where NOLA Eats is our food group. I post all my stuff there, and we get a lot of people posting their own New Orleans food experiences. You can follow me on social media, Ian McNulty Nola, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and you can tune in to WWNO Radio um, for my show, Where You Eat, which is on Thursday afternoon around 4.30 and Friday morning, 8.30. And, you know, just look for me in a restaurant, because I'm usually at <laughs> a restaurant or sometimes a bar, I'll be honest. <laughs> Maybe an oyster bar. Yeah, but I'm always, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always willing to talk food with, with anybody. It's, it's part of my ministry, and I'm, I'm glad to, to spread <laughs> spread the word of New Orleans food through, through any medium I get. But I'm pleasure, pleasure to be here with you today. 
This has been great. Well, thank you so much. And to our listeners out there, this was Ian McNulty joining me today on WRBH Radio. Thanks for listening to our first episode of Dinner Party with Chef Amy Sins. So until next time, ciao.